Our scripture reading today comes from James 4:13 to 17. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will be bring. What, what is your life? For you are a mist that appear for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, let me add my welcome to our friends from Elam, Bahar, Amir Hussein, Christina. It's so good to have you here. And Rodney, if you're in the room, uh, welcome. Thank you for being here in the Restoration House team. If you guys haven't noticed, we get to rub shoulders with some pretty amazing people here at Christ Community. So I want to remind you, before you leave today, uh, please give our guests a a warm welcome uh, and learn about what God's doing in and through their work uh, before you leave. Well, uh, if you didn't pick up on it during the reading, our, our, our conversation today from the book of James is about plans, okay? Now, did you know that there's a plan for this service right now? Some of you are like, I, I couldn't tell, but there is a plan. Uh, and look, I got it. It's right here. We do this every Sunday. We map out uh, the entire flow for the morning, even down to the minute. Now, we never hit these minutes, uh, especially when Randy's here, but we do our best it's all right here in black and white. And we, we have the key to the songs we're singing. We know the person who's going to pray, the congregant who's going to read scripture, who's on keys, who's on drums, who's on tech, who's on first. All of it's mapped out. It's plugged in and it's ready to go. Plans. Man, I love a good plan. My hunch is you do too. Man, I love a good plan. My favorite weeks are the weeks where everything goes according to plan. Plans are, and plans are good. Listen, the, the Bible talks a lot about plans, especially in books like Proverbs about the wise life. It has a lot to say about the goodness, the importance of thinking ahead, planning ahead, preparing ahead of time. It is a wise thing, but plans are not ultimate things. They're good things, but they are not ultimate things. And they aren't the best thing. Now, I'm saying that, and you're probably thinking, yeah, we know, Andrew, we all live through 2020. We all know that plans cannot be where we put our our ultimate faith and trust, because nobody planned for that, right? We know that, but do we know that? Do we live that, even today, even now? And this is James' concern for us, okay? Again, James, I think he really likes plans, He's not anti-planning ahead, but he does want us to know that there's something better than plans if we have the eyes to see it and the faith, the real faith to grasp it. So I want us to take a look together. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of James, uh, chapter 4. We're going to be just in verses 13 to 17, which Amir Hussein just read a few moments ago. So James, you'll remember wants us to have real faith, whole faith, lived out faith. 
which as we've described it, means more than head knowledge, okay? Real faith is more than right doctrine or right belief or right thinking. That's important, it's necessary, but it's not complete. When James talks about faith, what he means is that to to have the kind of faith that is just as obvious to someone observing our lives in how we speak and how we behave. That they could look at either one and say there's something different about that person. James wants absolutely zero daylight between what we say we believe and how we actually live. Okay, that is real faith. And all these different topics that he's covered, we talked about words, the importance of our words, our favorites and the favoritism in our lives, and even our, our suffering, James talked about. They all represent tests or trials to refine that real faith if we allow God to use them that way. And as we said, okay, here James talks about plans, plans, okay, verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and and make a profit. Now, James loves to do this, if you've noticed. He loves to give these little hypothetical scenarios. He, like, speaks for a character in his letter so that we are forced to kind of put ourselves into their place and hear what he has to say to us. So imagine he's saying, listen up, you businessmen, you businesswomen in the room. Those of you who pull out your calendar on Monday morning and say, here's how I'm going to make sure my week goes exactly as I planned it to go. Here's how this meeting's going to go. Here's how this trip to the home office is going to go. Here's how this sales call is going to go or this job site or this work I need to do. Here are all the steps, bam, bam, bam. Yeah, you, James says, I am talking to you. And we could expand this, right? We We could expand this beyond the business world. Hey, you teacher with the lesson plan mapped out, for your day. Hey, you parent with a kid's schedule, with the complicated map of pickup and drop-off and groceries in between. Hey, you counselor out there, you doctor out there with your list of patients for the day that you've got them all lined up and ready to go. Hey, pastor, with your plan for Sunday morning, all mapped out, down to the minute, I'm talking to you too, to all the folks out there who subtly and imperceptibly plan out your lives and you love those plans just a little too much. Who believe deep down that because you've got your little plan, you've got your Google calendar, you've got your to-do list, you've got the appointment reminder set because I've anticipated every conceivable obstacle and outcome and objection and question that my life is going to go exactly how I want it to go. You, James says, I'm talking to you. You, verse 14, do not know what tomorrow will bring. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Right? James is saying, you've got your whole year mapped out. That's his example. Says you're going, it's like you live your life like you're going on a business trip for a year and you've got the days and the weeks and the months and the quarters all on a spreadsheet, but you literally don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You do not know. And when tomorrow comes, and it looks nothing like the tidy little blocks on your calendar that you've mapped out, what then? What then? Now what do you do? James is saying plans are good until they let you down. 
Plans are good. But an over-reliance on them, faith in them, will let you down. And the proof is in the pudding. Okay? I, and I'm preaching to myself here, team, because I love a good plan. I really, really do. But James proves his point. Okay? When you begin to examine what happens when plans go awry in your life, all you have to do to see his point is look at your life and see how you respond when the plan doesn't go your way. I literally, this week, literally, was at home in the morning studying, preparing for this sermon. One of my kids came up to me and said that they didn't feel very good, which these days, if a kid comes up to you and says, I don't feel very good, is like a nuclear bomb going off on your month, okay? And I kid you not, my first thought was something to the effect of, God, how am I going to write a sermon about over-reliance on planning if I don't have a good plan for my day? How am I possibly going to do this? Now, you're laughing. Like, you don't do that. You do that. And my kids are fine, by the way. Thanks for asking. Okay. <laughs> the plans aren't the problem. It's not, it's not bad, right, that I have a schedule for when I think and prepare for a message. That's a good thing. The problem is an over-reliance on the plan not to worry or to not be anxious or to feel in control, to be okay. Because then, if I live that way, if, I'm, right, if I live that way, then my state of mind and my integrity and my real faith and my character, my ability, all the things James is talking about are only as good as my plan. And it turns out we are not particularly good at anticipating what tomorrow will bring. We're not. And again, listen to me. Having a sense of normalcy in your life, okay, having a routine, predictability, those are, good, those are good things. You need that for your mental health. <laughs> you, that's good for childhood development, right, as a routine, structure, predictability. All, but God designed us to need plans, but he did not design us to worship plans. And I think if we're being honest with ourselves, most of us in this room come awfully close to that line for a lot of life. And the way you see it is when your plans fail. So ask yourself, who do you become when your plans fail you? Who do you become? What comes out of you? Do you become anxious and worried? Because, man, without this plan, there's no way I'm going to be okay. I won't be okay. Do you become angry? Because, man, if these people in my life stopped needing my help, I could finally get something done. If only they were gone. Do you become inflexible? Like you can't adapt, you can't change. You get frustrated with even the smallest changes or surprises in your life. Or do you, be, do you become controlling? Because you realize, man, time I, it's not enough for me to control my time, so I've got to start controlling the people in my life too. Then I'll be okay. Jesus, or sorry, James, calls this, he calls this foolishness. A lack of real faith in God. Plans are good until they let us down, which they will. And part of the faith test, part of what God's doing in our lives is allowing those plans to fail so that we grow in real faith. 
And listen, one of the, this is one of the most important and consistent tests in our lives is going to be how we handle the things we did not plan for. So much of our lives and the tests we face daily are responding to the things we did not anticipate ahead of time. Truly, who do we become when our plans fail? But that's not our only problem with plans, okay? So look back at James. He's, he says here there's also the, an overconfident planner. Okay, verse 16. It says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Okay, again, he's talking to us. He's talking to the, the business leader, the parent, the counselor, the teacher, the pastor. He says, you make all these plans, and then you boast in them. You become arrogant because of them, overconfident. Now, what does he mean by that? So I think James is reminding us of something really important, which is the only thing more perilous to your real faith in God than your plans letting you down is your plans succeeding. Then who do you become? Because plans are good until they make us prideful. And I, this is James's main concern, I think, here in this passage. Remember, he starts his example with business people. Okay, that's the example that he gives. Uh, merchants, um, someone planning a business trip to a nearby town so that they can make lots and lots of profit. James has already hinted here in his letter that there are people of means. There are wealthy people in the congregation he's writing this letter to. He addresses them in chapter 1. And James also knows that these wealthy, successful-looking people, compared to the poor among them, and we know that he talks a lot about how those two groups interact, these wealthy, successful-looking people are more susceptible to arrogance, to overconfidence, to a lack of humility in how they plan, because their plans so far have done pretty well. Again, planning's not the problem, but when we succeed in our planning, when it goes well, that too can reveal things in us that have nothing to do with the real faith God is trying to create in us. Over time, you succeed enough, and we, may, we all may begin to think, you know, the real key to my success is me. I'm a really good planner. I'm a good strategist. Our life verse can be right? It's no longer in the Bible. It's Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. We probably wouldn't say that out loud, but we may begin to enter every meeting at work, every conversation with our family, every brainstorming session with a subtle assumption that the right idea and the real solution has not yet been heard until I have spoken. Because look at my plans, man. They're really good. So you need to listen to me. This is why James talks about mortality, it's a big focus for him here. This is why James says, you know, those of you who are tempted to pride in your plan and your success, remember, you are nothing. You're a blade of grass. You are dust in the wind. In the grand scheme of things, okay, in the midst of God's plans for humanity, for the universe, right, everything, in the midst of that, our plans, even our very successful plans, are about as significant as the plans of the housefly currently buzzing around in your kitchen back at home. That's the contrast. This isn't to say, listen carefully, this isn't to say God doesn't love you. He does. 
He loves you infinitely and intimately. He cares deeply about you. But your plans, not so much. And even in our own limited lifetimes, okay, we can see that our successes last about as long as our great-grandchildren's attention span. It's about how long they last. Right? Take a minute. Think about, think about your own family, your own ancestors. How many of them can you even name? How far back can you go? Let alone what they accomplished. Let alone what they planned. You, you probably can't go that far back. This is James's point. It says, even our successful planning, when we put it up against eternity, is a reminder of how little control we actually have over ultimate things. Our best days, our best ideas, our most successful quarters, our highest student achievement metrics, our best grandparenting moments, our wisest advice, apart from real faith in God and his ultimate plan, they are vapor in the wind. So who do you become when your plans work? Ask yourself this next question. Who do you become when your plans work? This, is, this, this question is just as important to God. Okay. He's interested in who you are when your plans go well, too. Do you find that you want more credit than you deserve when things go well? Do you get slighted when people don't pat you on the back? They don't recognize what you did to contribute to the project or to the, get the house in order. Right? It's like, man, no one notices what I do. Do you hold it over people's heads, your past success? Do you remind them of your resume, what you've done for the company, or what I've done for this family every couple of minutes? This is another faith test. Who we are when we succeed in our planning says just as much about us as who we are when they fail us. And James has a better way, okay? James has a better way. Better than anxious worrying when plans fail, better than overconfidence when plans succeed. And this is really James's wisdom for us. This is where he goes, plans are good, but faith is better. Faith is better. This is what James means when he tells us to live our lives in this posture. He says this to the anxious planner and the overconfident planner, verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. James does not mean to literally say every time you plan, if the Lord wills. Though saying that aloud to yourself is not a bad practice. But more important is to begin to live as if God's control is actually functionally more important than yours. That our plans are only as helpful as they align with his plans. And when they do not, to still live in obedience to him and not our plan. Not just because faith in God is right. Okay? Not just because that's the right answer. Especially if you're right, part of this church. It's like We know the right answer. But because it's better to do that better for you to do that. And here's the overall argument of James again. Our plans, good or bad, successful or unsuccessful, they're trials designed to bring us closer to who God actually wants you to be. He wants to bless you, not your plans, you. You are his goal. The moment our plans fail and our days blow up in our face and everything we wanted to do or have or experience gets shifted, right underneath our feet, that is a moment to trust God and find joy in his plan for our day. 
and the moment our plans succeed, and they go better than we even hoped, that is a moment to thank the God of the universe for his incredible generosity to us. Because there's freedom in that. Living that way, is, is, there's freedom. There's freedom in the patience that we learn in letting our plans go when we need to let them go. There's freedom in that patience. There's freedom in the humility we learn when our plans succeed. That we give thanks to somebody else for that. And the humility that comes that from not, not feeling that constant need to prove ourselves and perform as if our lives depend on it. There's freedom in knowing that God's opinion of you and of me is not limited to how well we performed in our last planning meeting. It's not limited to that. Okay? Faith is better than our plans. So, I want, so here's what I want to do. I want to get practical here for a minute. I want us to think through three ways okay, we can grow in our ability in, of real faith and as it interacts with our planning. The first is this. Number our days. You need to learn to number our days. Nothing gets us out of whack with faith in God quite like going whole days and weeks and months and years without reflecting on how limited our time on earth really is. Because if we don't constantly think about that, right, we begin to think, I'm going to be here forever. Nothing's going to stop me. And of course, when you actually think about it, our time is so, so short. Short. We can put so much stock into how well or poorly our plans went that we forget that how much more important our time is than our plans. God is always more interested in your time than your plans. Because your plans are hypothetical. Right? They're not real. Your time is right now. It's real. It's concrete. What you do or don't do right now is always more important to God than some hypothetical future you may or may not achieve. Always. Your time right now is what God cares about. This is why Jesus talks so much about today. Right? When he teaches his followers about anxiety, he says, don't worry about tomorrow. He says, you, you, don't have, you, can't, carry a, you can't worry about tomorrow. You can't control a thing about tomorrow. Instead, you should ask your, your good father for bread today. Daily bread. Today's bread. What you need to love God and your neighbor right now. Ask God for those things. Focus on that, and tomorrow will take care of itself. So we got to number our days. I had a friend tell me that part of his discipline for numbering his days is intentionally reading obituaries of people who've passed away. Now, I thought that was a little weird but I'm going to say it anyway because maybe, that's, maybe that helps. Okay, Number your days. Reflect on the brevity of it all. Of how limited our ability to plan really is and to trust the one who actually holds eternity in his hands. Okay, Second thing is to practice Sabbath. Practice Sabbath rest. Nothing helps put our productivity and planning in perspective like taking a day and not focusing on planning and productivity. Okay. Remember in, in, the, in the book of Exodus, the Hebrews who originally received the command to rest, had, it had real financial and planning lifestyle costs for them. God was telling them, remember, mostly a, a farming agrarian group of people, he was telling them, take a day off and trust me with the livestock. 
trust me with the farm. And then every seventh year, he also commanded them, take a year off and let the land rest and trust me, I'll take care of you. Can you imagine that? That's not easy. That's not easy. It's not easy now either. We've got big plans. We've got lots of activities that are a part of that plan because somewhere deep down, we think if we achieve enough and we do enough, then I'm going to find that rest I'm looking for. On the other side of, of hustling and planning and working and grinding, there will be rest. But it never works. You cannot outwork this problem. You have to rest. Sabbath reminds us that God's plans and his work and his provision are always better than ours. Always better. Faith is always better. So take a day. It doesn't have to be Sunday. And practice Sabbath rest. There's a lot we could say here, but mostly what I want you to hear is don't do anything on that day that actively tempts you to earn or achieve your identity. For most of you, that's going to be work. That may not just be work or school. Make it a day of rest, of contemplation, of family and friends and relationships. So practice Sabbath. Third thing, last thing, pray through your plans. This is something I've started doing, uh, and it helps me every week. So every Monday, I take five minutes, no more than five minutes, and as best I'm able, I I pray through my calendar. I, I, I pray through my plans that they would align with God's plans, and more importantly, that in the midst of my plans, however they go, that my time and my attention would stay with God, even if this whole week blows up in my face. I would stay true to Him, and not my plans. Your plans every week, they can be a distraction, they can be a temptation to have faith in our ability to control, or they can become an act of worship and the only one who actually knows what he's doing. Okay. And the difference, I think, I think it begins with prayer. It begins with actively handing our plans over to God to let him do with them what he will and not what we will. And I want us to do this together right now because, again, God cares what we do right now. So I want us to take our plans for this week and submit them to God. My hunch is most of you have your plans, your calendar on your phone. I want you to actually take that out if that's true. Maybe you have an actual paper calendar with you. Bring that out. If you don't have your planning, if you don't have your calendar with you, just imagine it in your hands with me. What I want us to do is to take these things, take our plans, and as I pray, I want us to physically lift them to him and submit them to him as a church family. So if you would, do that. Online, do it as well. Join us. Let's pray. Father, take these plans and use them or discard them as you see fit. Holy Spirit, guide your people not by our calendars, but by our love and obedience to you. Use our plans. Help us to plan better, Lord, all of these things. But most importantly, Father, make us the kind of people who love you more than our illusion of control in our lives. Whatever you have for us this week, whatever you have, we know it comes from our good Father. Lord, help us not to worry about tomorrow, but to receive our daily bread from you. We submit these things to you. In Jesus' name, amen.